You're listening to Under a Red Glow, a photography podcast covering the wide spectrum of the art and history of photography with an emphasis on chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes. Be sure to visit us at www.underaredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Under a Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker and with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. Hello, Christine. Good evening. What's going on? Um, for episode twelve, anything good? Anything, we, has anything good happened in the world, in our lives? How about that? How about that? Has anything good happened in our lives? We spent a beautiful day in Ocean City. We went to Ocean City again, but that was that was before. No, that last was this episode. Past well, weekend. Last week we went to. Oh, I need to talk about Ocean City because I took out Hulk Hogan, <laughs> the one ten Hulk Hogan camera. And I loaded Hulk up with, um, with uh, with all his prayers and vitamins and some one hand film, mm-hmm. and all the prayers and vitamins couldn't get that shutter to unstick. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So I am not. I didn't have any photos from the Hulk Hogan camera. I'm not giving up though. I will open that sucker up and I'll see if I can't. I don't know. Maybe do a su- suplex. Is that is that the wrestling term? A suplex. I have pile no driver. Idea. Maybe I'll pile driver it in the in the submission into working. I know nothing about wrestling, dear. I'm hoping I can get in there and find out what's sticking, clean it up a little bit, and if it needs to be lubricated, I'll lubricate it. If it doesn't need to be lubricated, I'll clean it up. And I want to get I want to get that working. I know you've used it in the past, haven't you? I have. Well, no, you know, I don't think I have. I don't think I ever, I, th- this new one, I don't think I've ever really used. I took Hulk Hogan out and put him in in my, my DSLR. Ah, that's which, right. Which I found the photo of. I don't know if I put that up. Did I put that on our Patreon? I wanted to put that on know. our Facebook page as well. I'm going to go through Not that I'm aware of, dear. I did, I did put a photo up of, of um, the camera published. I put a photo of the camera up on Patreon. I put a photo of our Cheese It camera negative on on Patreon. And these and these I made these posts public. So if you're if you're not supporting the show, if you're not supporting us on Patreon, you can still see these. And I did post about I did post a photo from the Kite Festival and then I also talked about um Hulk Hogan's lack of performance you know aging wrestlers and all yeah we we made some benefit changes to the patreon page as well and i'm not going to bore everybody with with all that but if if you if you support us on patreon and your tier was was changed i have reached out to you and we've had uh, we've had largely largely positive feedback we did change a couple of uh, we did change some of the tiers that were higher end because at the end of the day with with shipping and with with materials we were having a little bit of a hard time kind of kind of not just not just paying for everything. We did add a podcast supporter tier for ten dollars, and that will be um, that will be the the book the like the the show notes and pictures zine. That that we uh, that we've kind of shown online. Um, once we get all of that nailed down, we are still frantically working on making that really really cool, and that will that will go online. And and this does not include any of the other stuff, which is just if you want to support the show and you don't really want to worry about any of the other stuff, and you want to get a copy of uh, a mailed copy of this show notes and picture zine for our show, ten dollars a month gets you there. I'm also limiting the darkroom creation tier to 10, and there are eight of those left. And uh, you can read all that on our Patreon post from uh, the October 3rd. What else? What else did we do? This has not been the busiest week. It hasn't. Um, you, you do that because I'm going to now bounce over to our uh, Under Red Globe Facebook page and make sure I've posted something to that lately. What have we done this week? We have, you've been working in the dark room preparing for your 
talk next week at the Frederick Camera Click. Oh yeah, I've got a um on uh, on Wednesday, October fourteenth at seven p.m. Eastern. I will be with our good friends at the Frederick Camera Click, and they are in uh, they are located out of Frederick, Frederick, Maryland. And and I will be I will be talking about viable uh, viable alternative processes and chemical processes that you can still work with today. And I'm hoping to have I'm hoping to finish up a lot of my videos so that I can play videos and talk about the processes while I go. And I've got them kind of um, I've got them kind of sorted out by easy, which we've done here plenty of times. And then uh, I've got dichromates. I've got salt. I've got I don't know what else I've got. I've got them listed up. I've got five main speaking doodads, and we'll talk about uh, anybody who wants to get started, what they can what they can do to get started. Christine, do you have the the website for them? Uh, FrederickCameraClick.org. FrederickCameraClick, C-L-I-Q-U-E.org, and you need to be registered. This is, um, from what I understand, this is going to be on Zoom. You need to RSVP and get an invite. If you go to the website, they will have an email. Email them and tell them you'd like to be a part of the, the presentation. Visitors are welcome. You do not need to be a paid member or a, a local person to the uh, Frederick Hammond Click to watch. I don't know if Zoom's got a limit for people that can watch. I'm not, so, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't know. I'm I don't not know. really sure. It depends on what level of Zoom they have. I have a photo that I talked about last week with Hulk Hogan's little 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 piece of film thing and i'm posting them right now to the the episode 11 post on the facebook page i'm posting them right now okay i'm sorry but as you can see it's terrible it's an old oh actually it's a young young me in front of our bed uh, our uh, bathroom mirror doing the the weakest looking hulk hogan arm flex that i can make and there, of course, Hulk Hogan is in the front ripping his teeth. He must have went through a lot of shirts. Yeah, he tore quite a few up on camera. Didn't he tear all of them? Yeah. I hope he had. I hope he had stock in like Hanes or something, right? <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed very wasteful. But hey, I'm not gonna. You know, that's Hulk Hogan. He do what he wants to. It was his thing. I don't want him beat me up. I even even for a. Even for an older gentleman, I'm sure he can still probably paw drive me. <laughs> anyway, do we have anything else? No, I think that's all we've been up to lately. All right, thanks everybody for listening. See you next. Oh, no. hold on a second. We have to talk about something, don't we? Yeah, let's let let's talk about this week. We're doing film photography. We figured uh, we, we we've been getting a couple questions on on getting started in in film. And we really wanted to to go through kind of a list, uh, definitely not a a full list, definitely just a scatterbrained uh, thinking of what what we would tell somebody uh, if they're they want to get started in film photography. So let's let's start. Why would somebody in twenty twenty want to get started in in film photography, Chris? Well, I like to shoot film, and I admit predominantly I shoot black and white film if I do film. But you can never quite get the same look on a digital camera that you get on film. It just looks different. And I love that you're limited. You can't just sit there, click, 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 and take a couple thousand photos and Mm. have it not cost anything. And so it really teaches you to know your camera. It really teaches you to know what you're doing and to think about your thought, not just blindly try something as often as That's you do a with point. a digital. That's a really good point. And, and I'm, I want to hit I want to hit that digital prints nail on the head. Um, digital to me seems very sterile. When people have asked me, why do you like film versus digital? Not that I don't like digital. I mean, I still you know, a, a, a part of, a part of what I do is still digital. And that's what, you know, that's what gets me through. But digital to me is a very sterile format because I can photo, I can go out today, photograph something, pick up another digital camera, change the ISO, um, put the, a new lens on whatever. And I can photograph the same scene and it's going to pretty much look the same. You know, minus minus the optics of the lens, minus uh, maybe a little bit more noise if I change the ISO up. The problem is you and I can have the same camera body, which we do, 
the same lens, and we could be photographing the exact same scene, and every single time that photograph is going to look as perfect as possible. Nikon, Canon, Sony, Olympus, all those people have put a lot of money into making sure that every time you click that button, every one of those pixels in your sensor is going to accurately capture what came through the lens. And that can be, you know, you know, and that's nice, but that can be boring sometimes. And especially with people that that like the 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 the, the, the randomness, or maybe not even the randomness, but the kind of letting, kind of letting the cards fall as they lay. They 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 like having the the the, the, the potential of maybe having a a roll of film that might be a little bit on the aged side, and there might be a color shift, or they're shooting something on on black and white film. And they may like the grain, the specific grain on that. But that's what I usually always talk about is that digital is very sterile to film. And again, not that that's a bad thing. That is definitely a great thing. I don't want to leave a caution. I don't want to throw caution to the wind if I'm photographing a wedding. Right. The other thing to think about is with film Yes, you can do certain things to get the photo to look like what you want it to in post-processing a lot more, I mean, a little bit, but not as much as you can do with a digital print. So there are some people who totally transform their photos in mm-hmm. their digital prints. And it's just, if you're working with film and taking the image from the film and not just scanning it in to turn it into a digital print... It's a little bit harder to do some of the st- most of the stuff that some people just like. Oh, I can just fix this in post processing. Yeah. And with film, you think about what you're shooting because it's harder to make those changes. You also mentioned that um, that you you don't you can't really sit there and and uh, pray and spray, which is what a lot of photographers call just just you know you you're. You're there taking a photograph of something, and you just lay on that button, because hey, uh, charging your battery, and uh, once you already have your your camera memory card, those shots are free. Basically, I mean, yeah, you're putting wear, and you could talk about wear and tear on your on your shutter. You can talk about wear and tear in the sensor, whatever. It's nowhere near as much as film. So what Christine said was, you know, you you need to think about it. In fact, this is something that we usually we usually try to work into any workshops that we have on photography. If we can try to squeeze in, if we can try to squeeze in putting uh, putting a film camera in students' hands and a roll of film, because when you only have twelve images, twenty four images, thirty six images, and each shot is going to cost you a couple bucks. You're going to make sure that the, every time you click that button, you're you're where you need to be, right? You're going to think more about what you're photographing, right? And you're going to want to get it more correct, right? And that's tough. That's really tough to teach people, because as Christine said, yeah, you've got a lot of people that they don't mind sitting in front of a photo for hours, just massaging it and goosing it and tweaking it and making it look a certain way, and that's and that's okay. But as far as where I'm concerned, time is money. And if I'm going to be stuck on making a photo work, I would rather be in the darkroom. I'd rather be on my feet, rather have you know music blaring. I'd rather be smelling the, the funny smell and chemicals. Uh, I'd rather be um, under the red under the red glow, as we as we always say. But <laughs> but I'd rather be working with that than than sitting behind the computer. Not and again, not that there's a problem with that. But with and, and that and that's a good that's a, a positive thing about digital photography is when I talk about how it is sterile, I know that I can color balance inside of a church, inside of a reception hall, outside where I'm going to be you know making family photos. I can go into a, a software a piece of software called uh, such as Lightroom. I can go in. I can color balance off of a a gray card. I know that every shot in the same lighting is going to be the same. I mean, it's it's so much easier that I can say, okay, well, I've got I've got a hundred photos. Let's pretend I have a hundred photos. I can pretty much get them processed to the most. To, to, I can get them straightened, color corrected, exposure corrected, and I can blow through the ones I like and don't, and I can automatically have them upload to my website, ready for the client in maybe an hour. 
So that's that's the good thing about that's the good thing about digital. And and yeah, we we do offer film photography to clients. However, it's more of an understanding that it is a more artistic kind of thing. So right. anyway, uh, what are some of the what are the some of the cons of of film? We've we've had some issues with film lately, and and where film used to be really plentiful, it's it's not really much anymore. It's harder to find. It's more expensive. Even getting it developed, if you don't do it yourself, can be very difficult. So that's why we just tell everyone to do it themselves. <laughs> well. Doing it yourself is a little bit difficult as well because, first of all, it, it requires a little bit of, of of equipment and chemistry, and it requires a little bit of a a commitment on your end to find a place where you can develop this film in the dark. That's true. So you know, it's it's that a lot of film stocks disappeared. What was it? What was it? Ten years? Ten years? Kodachrome has been gone. But Kodachrome. Wow, I can't believe it's been that long. Kodachrome. Uh, it's a slide film. A be- the beautiful slide film. Of course, it was 27 steps, I believe. I believe that was the number. 27 different chemical steps in order to make it happen. But Kodachrome's been gone. We've, we've lost several different film stocks. And, and, the, and the, cr- the crummy part is, is we, we keep losing these film stocks. And some of them come back. But what's the, what's the main thing about them coming back? They usually cost more. Uh, and... Price goes way through the roof. So, so there's a there's kind of a balance there. Do you you need to have, and, and we might as well talk about doing it yourself anyway. Uh, you need to have the equipment to develop your own film. You need to have the chemistry. You need to have the time, and you need to be. You know, you need to be pretty, uh, pretty good at developing your own film because otherwise, you could, you could screw up a, a seven dollar roll of film and have nothing to show for it. So, so developing film nowadays, shooting film nowadays is is tough. It's really, really tough, and it's there's there's nothing like it. It's extremely rewarding. I want to say that it's the it's the coolest thing you can do right now, but uh, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough to get people to to take the plunge and and to try it. But whenever you can, the magic of seeing the images show up in that red glow is just amazing. Or when you open up a daylight tank, you know, you've got a tank right. that's a, that you load the film into and you spool it onto a reel and uh, you know, you take turns putting the chemicals in and pouring the chemicals out and and this thing you put in it in the in the dark that that all you did was was push a button and let the let the light hit inside your camera, you you pull it out and you see these great negatives. So, um, you know what? I don't want to talk about doing it yourself yet. Um, I want to kind of go in and 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 really start from not necessarily the beginning, but kind of the beginning for me, which is why why film. If you're going to be photographing something, and let's and let's say you want to, we've we've already talked about why film instead of digital, but why film in terms of a darkroom situation. And my answer to that would be is is when you're working with a lot of these these alternative processes, you really need to have something that that is on a a mostly transparent base that is very light kind of light blocking. And and the way I'm saying that is negatives. You need to have a negative in order to to use a lot of these these alternative processes in here in order to use photographic enlarging paper silver paper um but why why film instead of uh, photograms christine you're a you're a big photogram supporter i like them both so i can't say this is the way you should go with it but film is just the way the images turn out i guess um i'm not sure exactly how to answer this um, I they're like, two different things, right? Yeah, they there, are. there are some people out there that will that will combine film and and photograms. But basically, to get started, photograms are great because you can go in there and you can say, "Here's a leaf," and that that's a very a very great thing that that they've done through history. But then you can come back and and you eventually want to take your own images, and you want to make your own images show up. Right, but what's the problem with you know? And and I guess we're gonna we're gonna sit here and assume we've we've pretty much been talking about thirty five millimeter. What's the problem with thirty five millimeter and alternative processes? 
It's a tiny piece of film. It's too small. If you're getting into 35 millimeter again, it's it's kind of that law of uh, law of the bigger you get, the more expensive you get, the more you can do to it. And 35 millimeter format film uh, frames or slides or whatever, um, that'll get you started. But and, it's just not big enough to do a full print. Right. Of. So if you're if you're getting to 35 millimeter, that's something that you're doing for yourself. That's something you're doing, and maybe you're scanning it. Maybe you're scanning it into your computer and and then editing it from there or printing it from there, which a lot of people do. It's it's a really cool way to get started, and, and film scanners have just been cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And, of course, if you have a digital camera, it's really easy to backlight film, photograph it, photograph it on a light table, something. And as long as using maybe a macro lens and a tripod or whatever, you can actually take a very good photo of your of your your negatives that you've created and then invert them in your your photo editor of choice and beep boop bop you know hitting hitting buttons and then you've got something that that you can show for it and people are going to think oh wow that's really cool because you're going to see that natural nice green and it may have a you know the film's got every film's got a characteristic to it that is just just wild what and if they don't want to scan and they want to make photos of that, uh, what's the what's the next step for thirty five? You'd need a enlarger. You'd need an enlarger, and and I would I would ar- I would argue, of course, thirty five millimeter, one ten for sure. One ten film is 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 actually smaller, and then even one even one twenty or two twenty film, which is a six uh, six what is it six centimeter uh, six by six, normally frame, and that's even still too small. So 35, you know, kind of you need to think about what your and we always talk about this. What is your end goal in when you take a photograph? Well, what is your end goal with how you're you're photographing film? Right. Now, what uh, what are what are film? What's the film camera situation like? It's really hard. It's getting harder and harder to get a film camera. A lo- mm-hmm. uh, well, there's a lot of used ones out there. There's a lot of great great used film cameras out there that need homes and these things you know digital your your body goes bad you know you're you're you know when we you've you've got a when we were shooting canon 20d 40d 50d 5d mark one mark two mark three your body doesn't last because the sensor goes away the sensor you know falls out of favor now of course you know you're shooting 50 megapixels or something you're you're or even, even what was the what was the twenty D? I think that was, was that twenty megapixels, fifteen meg, fifteen. I mean, as long as you don't pixel peep, you're okay. But the thing about film cameras is, is you're changing the sensor out every time you put a new roll in there, because you're exposing directly the roll. So these film cameras from the the early days work just as good. Now the problem is, is they may be sticky. The shutters may may stick, or they may have issues, or or who knows what's what's going on. But uh, when you're when you're working with these cameras, they may have they may have issues. They may have a built-in light meter that doesn't work, and uh, and and it's getting harder to find cameras that are entirely, you know, as soon as you get out of the box, uh, they're they're ready to go. That's tough. You can't find too many. You, I doubt there's really any new film cameras out there, or not many. I heard, I heard, uh, I heard a rumor. I think at least until recently, Nikon would make a batch every once in a while. I, I'm, I don't have any. I don't have any, any really thing, anything on that. But uh, I seem to remember one of the big makers would make. They either until recently they were still making a film body. And we still need to buy a, a, a Nikon back. We still have our, our real high-end Canons, and, and we kept a couple of our lenses to shoot with our Canon film cameras. But uh, but yeah, we want to get a we want to get Nikon formats so that we can uh, use we can lenses. use our new lenses with that. But but there's also new cameras coming out. And last and last week we talked about the Lomography cameras. We right. talked about a lot of the Kickstarter stuff. Ilford had a pinhole camera come out. Uh, there's there's a lot of great stuff out there. But I would argue. To to buy something online, you've got great places like um, I don't I'm not sure if B and H has a used department for film cameras, but I know Adorama does, and I know K E H it does as well. 
and they will usually have cameras and give you a warranty on them, and they've got their own people to double-check to make sure the, the camera's working, the shutter's working, everything's working. You're going to pay a premium for that. It's either that or go to go to eBay and hope that the person that, that is selling the camera j- didn't just find it on the side of a road and hasn't tested it and and gotten all that, you know, gotten it kind of wrong because a lot of the times eBay, they'll sell as is and then you can't send it back and, and all that fun stuff. But I did, I did mention Lomography and those kind of plastic cameras. But, um, but yeah, uh, I, I think eBay is the way to go. KEH, Adorama used, and, and go from there. B&H has a used film section. Do they have a film used camera. film? Used 35 millimeter film cameras. Oh, I'm I sorry. I just looked it up. Oh, I'm sorry, B&H. We just, we just haven't. We just haven't purchased. Uh, we just haven't even. That, that, that kind of that vocabulary that B&H sells used film cameras does, does not just compute in my head. But, uh, but yeah, check, check all of them out for, for what you're looking for. And. And kind of shop around and price check and and you know you'll you'll be okay getting it from one of those companies because if you get it and it doesn't work you're you're going to be be able to they're going to be able to fix you up and help you out. Keh also does uh, does the repairs as well and we've we've actually had some some film cameras sent to Keh when they needed more repairs than we can do ourselves. Yes. Uh, what about what about price for 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 film, Chris? We we talked a little bit about it. But the issue being is the the larger you get, the more expensive, right? The more expensive uh, developing, the more expensive getting it developed, and and I I would even sit there and say you'd be more hard pressed to get someone to develop large format film for you. Yeah, probably. Unless you have a a specific lab that does that near you. Right. Usually it, they just do the thirty five millimeter. Well, my thinking is if you are shooting, if you're spending all that money to shoot large format, you're likely going to be developing it yourself. In my experience, that's the case, but yeah. you're, you've been around me most of my experience. So, so. Where, where now can we get film? Well, there's a lot of places. There's still people who have it and find it and say, anyone want this? Check with um, friends and family. They may have some rolls rolling around in the junk drawers eBay is a good place. eBay is a, is a is a good place and usually you'll find someone that's that's selling uh, a box of film, a box of rolls of film that that they have no idea what to do with it. They found it maybe in a estate sale or they found it in the attic of their of their parents' house or something. The, but the problem with that is film doesn't really keep very well. There's a reason film's got an expiration date, and there's a reason why several of us crazy people actually have refrigerators dedicated to to just film and film emulsions. But I have no problem with that. As long as you're shooting film and you're not you're not photographing someone's wedding. Right. Something that is irreplaceable. As long as you're shooting for yourself, you're having fun, I have I don't care about expired film. You can go online and there's uh you know there's a, there's different kind of calculators and different different rules to talk about okay well for every 10 years that this roll of film has has been uh, has been expired add this much light add this much stops of light um film kept in an attic you know you may get nothing you may get absolutely zero and there's ways to test this film. There's ways to maybe just uh, just photograph a, a chip of film and uh, make sure it's doing good. And then you can photograph the rest of the roll and, and see what you like. But but yeah, you've got to be real careful of that. Um, if you're if you're buying from online retailers and you're going to be looking for brands, uh, there's still Kodak, in, uh, Ilford, Role, Foma, uh, Orwo, and Arista. They're they're still the names that are that are out there that sell film that is it is still manufactured today and it's going to have a shelf life that's good and as long as you keep it under under uh, under cold storage and in the back of your fridge in the back of your freezer uh, you'll you'll be able to extend that life out pretty good um, you also have some some hip and I call it hip you also have some hip options as well such as lamography and there's another one that I was looking at today called Kona K-O-N-A and these suckers are Kona at least is $15 a roll for like 24 exposures it's it's absolutely crazy but these are you know these are emulsions that they've specifically and and let's be honest they're probably not uh, they're probably not 
emulsions they've created. It's just there are so many different experimental emulsions out there and different emulsions that, that were created out there that, that they're finding stuff that, that looks kind of cool and uh, they, you know, they're spooling it up and they're, they're putting their own brand on it. They're putting their own name on it and, and people love shooting the stuff. There's, there's one for Lomography where, uh, and I can only imagine that what they do is they, in a dark room, they, they, they pull the entire roll of film out and they hit it with LED lights because it'll have these rainbows and dots and color casts and light leaks and all kinds of stuff on this on purpose on this color film and, uh, and people eat this stuff up <laughs> i think it's the craziest thing but hey that's that's cool teach their own teach their own uh, i also want to say because this this place also um is a is a good place to go i i didn't i didn't tell you where to go for the the brands that we just mentioned but i do want to give a special shout out to the film photography podcast store and they have their own podcast film photography podcast and they are at filmphotographyproject.com and they have a store where they do this kind of the same thing as kona does where they will get bulk rolls of film they will re-spool them. They will make sure everything works. They will put their own label and their own expiration on it. They will make sure you know how to develop it. And they will put it in a canister and send it to you. So they've got a lot of cool, a lot of cool stuff there as well. And I think they also sell cameras too. It's been a while since I've it's been a while since I've been over there. I really need to uh I really need to familiarize myself. Uh they do have scanning services, lab services, they sell uh one ten, they sell my goodness, they sell uh 126 still, 35 millimeter film, 120 film, 8 millimeter movie film, and uh, large format sheet film, and darkroom and chemistry supplies. So definitely check them out when you get a chance if you are looking for some some fun stuff. That's really cool. Now, Christine always has to bring one name into it. Oh, it's still film. <laughs> it is, and and I still I still never found out. I still never took the time to find out what Polaroid's doing with these these new Polaroid packs that they're selling. I really want to find out, um, and then nobody's contacted us. So if you know, please please email or or post on on the Facebook page. But I don't know what Polaroid's doing, but Polaroid is still out there, and that is pretty much shoot it and develop it yourself, right? Because as it, as it squirts through the rollers. It busts the it busts a a development pack, develops the film itself, and that's two, your instant film. Yeah, two minutes after you take your picture, there's your picture. Now Polaroid used to be really cool for Polaroid lifts, and what you can do is once you had that that once you had that photo out, you can actually kind of melt that emulsion, melt that photo off the paper, and you can then float it onto another substrate like paper, metal, glass, something like that. And I know that used to be the big thing. I don't know if this new Polaroid stuff does that. Um, one thing that I used to like doing uh, back when I was shooting the Fuji, uh, the Fuji pack film, was uh, you can actually take that and reclaim the negatives because the way everything works is uh, the whole chemistry pack. It makes a negative, it makes a positive, and there you go. And you can actually bleach out these negatives. And I remember using, I remember using bleach toilet bowl cleaner because it it was gelatinous. It was gel. And what you do is you would tape down this pack film negative and you would then take a cotton ball and squirt some toilet bowl cleaner on it and start start rubbing it. And then you can actually get yourself some large format, large-ish format negatives from that. But that was always pretty fun. Um, if, if you don't want to get into the chemical process, there is also zinc, Z-Ink. Uh, you also have Fuji Instax stuff. The Fuji Instax stuff is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of great instant things because there's something magical about taking a photo and holding it in your hands. Yeah, yeah. you got a phone. You got a phone, you got a tablet, you got a computer, you got a digital camera, whatever. There's still something really cool about clicking that button and then out pops something. Yeah. So... And you know what? You know what my favorite part about Polaroid is? What? Remember those old flash flash bulbs and flash cubes? Yeah. Oh, I love those. It's and then not the smell. Just Polaroid. Uh, yeah, I know, but <laughs> recently, more recently when I've been shooting uh, when I was shooting the Fuji Pack film, 
I I loved I always love I always love the, the the flash cubes because they had that it's kind of like developing film in the dark room it's it's just that smell that really takes you back to to simpler times you always like to play them with your magnesium flash too but magnesium flash yeah but that's then, another that's, that's another episode <laughs> that's a lot older back when I had eyebrows you still have eyebrows dear they've grown back <laughs> I didn't lose them in the first place. <laughs> All right. What about developing film? We we talked about it. We talked about how that that if you're shooting film, it's kind of up to you. And of course, we're gonna we're gonna stand behind you every step of the way and say, you know what? Try developing yourself. Get yourself some black and white film. Try developing it yourself. You can get yourself some um, some Kodak D seventy six developer. You can get yourself some Rodinol. You can even make your own film developer if you want. And when we talked about the modern rogue doing the the the, the pinhole camera a couple episodes ago, the they did the same thing. They used a uh, they they used a homemade developer. Cathinol. Uh, no, they used. Um, it was a the phenol. The phenol. It was a phenol based developer, but I think they still use citric acid. I think they still used vitamin vitamin C powder or citric acid and and to do that. But but you can make your own. Developers, and again, that's difficult. It becomes really difficult making your own developers because now you've got a $7 roll of film and you're throwing in the cheapest store brand coffee and vitamin C powder you can find. It's 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 kind of that that fence. Do you do you potentially waste a nice expensive roll of film on playing around, or do you just want the just want the darn thing to work? So that's a thought. Um, what do you need to develop your own film? Let's talk about let's talk about thirty five millimeter because that's the most common. You do not need a darkroom. Correction: You do not need a darkroom for much longer than a couple minutes. If you have a room in your house, if you have a dark place, kick Harry Potter out from under the stairs, <laughs> and if that's dark in there. Kick him and his owl out. Frog? Owl. Frog? What does he got? Owl. Rat? Okay. I don't know. He they had all, an owl. They all have all kind of weird creatures. I don't no, get it. No, they're not that weird. I don't get it. Kick him out. Find a place that you can go into and it's dark. Let your eyes adjust. As long as there are no light leaks, that is good enough to spool film into what's called a daylight tank. And what a daylight tank is, it is a reel, of, it is a reel inside. And the most common are what are called Patterson tanks. It's a plastic reel, and in the dark, you you take a uh, you take one of those old uh, can openers, and you pop open the can of film, and spool it onto this reel in the dark. Of course, it's in the dark, and as soon as you put everything back in this daylight tank, you can go out in the in the light. I wouldn't recommend going out in the sun and playing kickball with it, but you can go out in the light. You can go into a, a bathroom, or you can go into a, a utility room or laundry room, and you can you can pour in the developer, give it the give it the inversions that it needs well, for as going, long as you need to. Going back, if you don't have a dark place, you can always get the the bag. Oh yeah, changing bag. Changing bag. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. That that's they're not that that big, and they're not. You can get them used pretty good on eBay. I am going to warn everybody because the pro. Well, if you get it, here's the first thing: if you get a changing bag, make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure that it doesn't have any like leaks. True. And the way I like to do that is get yourself a piece of photographic paper, put it in the bag, go out, go outside, flop the bag around a little bit. That way, if there's any pinhole light leaks in there, or or shine a flashlight in it and look for light leaks. Not like you're going to sit there and and change your film in in the sunlight anyway but you want to make sure you don't have any light leaks because every possible problem is a new can of worms that you may or may not know where it came from did this light leak come from the camera did it come from the changing bag did it come from the development tank plus i would recommend unless you know and you are a pro at loading these reels with film I would highly recommend having a place that you can stand up in. You're not going to get your arms and your legs cramped in because your first time loading film is likely going to be a disaster. Yes, I remember doing that the first time. It's it takes a it takes a light touch 
when we teach it, we actually have some. Uh, it's it's thirty five millimeter film that that they add to the front of reels of movies, and it's a white film. It has nothing on it. Has no emulsion, and we have we have students cut it at a at a ninety degree angle. They they snip off the corners because the the, the corners are spots that will jam up all the times you know the little the little corners at the at the front of the film that you load onto it so i have them snip that so it's a little bit of a rounded edge almost and then we load it and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting kind of uh cha-cha to get to get that on the film with the with these rollers because they have a they have kind of a of, of a movement that you you grab the film and push it with one hand and you grab the film and push it with the other hand you keep doing that back and forth until you have everything on the reel hopefully in the track not jumped and not touching the rest of the film. So I, if you get into it more, get a changing bag. Otherwise I would do everything in my power to find a dark place in your house and do this for the first couple times. Well, but if you're in the dark, it's almost the same thing. Not really. Well, you have more room. You have more room because I can't tell you how many times I've been, I would spool something in the changing bag. That is my travel changing bag, which is tiny. It's probably the size of a eight and a half by eleven piece of paper. When everything's said and done, it's a nightmare. If something jams up, something isn't going right. It's so frustrating. Then your hands are sweaty, and then you're freaking out, and then you're sitting at a weird angle because you're trying to get in this bag. No, save the changing bag. Work, work in the dark. Get it, get it taken care of, and then get it in there, and then practice, practice, practice putting it back together. Make sure you put all the clips in right. Make sure you put everything in where it needs to go. That way, when you close up the dark, the developing tank and you turn the lights on, everything's good. So make sure you know how to put it together. But you can once you have this tank, you can do whatever you want. Black and white film, of course, very simple. Um, you don't need... Is Black and white film is typically rated for about the same temperature that we keep our houses, especially with, with winter coming. Um, when we, when, when summer's here, we keep, you know, we keep our house a little bit on the, on the warm side, but we do cool our dark room because we try to keep it between 68 and 72. When you're in the, in the winter, uh, you may, you may keep it a little bit on the cool side, but most, when you go through and you look at the developing times for black and white film for the, for the developer you're using and the film you're developing, they will give you a they will give you a time for how long to develop it and that will be based around a temperature black and white film is completely just it's very forgiving c41 film or ecn um those films are the, the color film they need to be a little bit closer that's usually what it's a 104 for the for the standard Kodak stuff, and that needs to be within a degree or two. That's when that's when I worry about a a chemical bath, uh, excuse me, a temp a tempering bath of temperature exact water. And we have these great things nowadays called sous vide. And of course, we we use we use one in the kitchen, and we have one in the in the the uh, in the dark room as well that keeps a temperature water bath very close to to the right temperature. And that's what we used for the longest time when we would shoot, uh, we would shoot slide and develop slide film. E6 is the is the format, and we have a uh, you know we had a, a machine that would turn it. We called it Jobo, Jobo, and it would have its own kind of tempered water bath. It would have something you put all your chemicals in to keep them tempered because it doesn't matter what the film temperature is if you're putting cold chemistry in there, you're you're kind of defeating the purpose. So it's it's really cool. Um, what do you need? You need developer. You need stop bath. Some people will admit the stop bath, and then they will just flood flood this film with with water, trying to stop that developer as quickly as possible. I'm a fan of stop bath because developer is typically alkaline. The stop bath will get in there and it will neutralize that really quick, and stop. You know, give you kind of a an exact stop for for that developer. Some people don't use it. No big deal. You can use you can use household vinegar if you want, but uh, I like the Kodak indicator stop that you know, it. I, I never I never have it last long enough. I never keep it long enough to have it change colors on me, but it'll change colors if you're exhausting it. And especially when you're starting out, this is kind of an investment. This is certainly an investment in, in equipment and chemistry. And then you've got your fixer. Uh, photographic fixers are, are pretty cheap. 
you, you can get them and you can you can mix those up really easily and and go through there. Um, when we talk about all these chemicals, I do want to also talk about the fact that they they have a definite shelf life. When you're when you're shooting developer powder, when you're mixing this powder up, the powder itself is is okay. It's never gonna probably never gonna expire. I still keep them in the film fridge. If you keep any of this stuff in a refrigerator that has food in it, make sure it is locked up, labeled, whatever. And, and you know, you be safe. If you've got kids in the house, don't do it. Make sure people know what it is. But but you've got, you've got a limit on how many rolls you can send through the developer as well as rolls you can send through the fixer. But not only that, but oxi oxygen will attack the the darkroom, uh, the, the developer, and and also the fixer. Right, Chris? Right. Um, what else do we have? Uh, what else do we have for that? C41, we talked about C41, E6. I, I want people to start with black and white, to be honest with you. You can do so many great things with that. Um, what's the what's the next step? What are the next options? You've, well, got, you've got a nice roll of film. How do we protect it? How do we keep that roll of film once we've ha we've hung it up and it's dried? We keep it in. Um, we have notebooks that we keep uh, dividers in to protect it. Archival sleeves. Archival sleeves. You can get archival sleeves, archival plastic sleeves that will have exactly the size for whatever film size you're shooting, all the way up to eight eight by ten. And then downstairs, I've got some that I think will go up to 20 by 30. I know I've got 11 by 14, 16 by 20, but these are archival plastic sleeves. They will not off-gas this archive. You know, they will not off-gas any acid and, and destroy your negatives. It's really safe to have. Make sure that uh, that as you're, you're cutting these frames down to fit in these sleeves, kind of do that rounding edge thing again. That way they fit in pretty well. And I, I do both sides. That way when I'm fumbling around the dark room and maybe I put it in from the other way, it, it'll, it'll slide in good either way. And then what uh, what can you what can you do with these, Chris? There's two things you can do. Well, you can either scan them into your computer and process them that way, or you can enlarge them. We talked about scanning enlarger. Enlarger is kind of that next step because the problem with 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 that is enlarging is it's takes an enlarger, and you can get some small kind of portable. I've been I've been looking for a travel size enlarger for years. Something that that I'd be able to take take with me uh, on 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 road trips, but you can get yourself a small and larger. Keep an eye on Craigslist. Keep an eye on eBay. Keep an eye on maybe your local camera club. Just just this week, we had someone reach out to us say, "Hey, I'm I'm getting rid of uh, I'm getting rid of an enlarger and some tanks and some trays. Uh, are you interested?" And of course, we are because we always we always try to rescue this stuff and and what we can use we use and what we can't use we we try to outsource to someone that will. But uh, but you're you're going to see a lot of stuff online that is uh, that is high priced. You're going to see a lot of stuff online that is broken or that people don't know what in the world it is. And you need to figure out if if you want to uh, if you want to put that investment into it and get something that is working, known working, tested, whatever, or you know it's something you're going to have to kind of fiddle with and kind of tinker with. And if you've got if you've got photographers or someone that that either either still shoots film photography or did. A lot of your, your, your old hat photographers, they started out or they had to do film photography in, in college. And a lot of them still will be able to help you out as long as you maybe reach out to them and say, hey, do you happen to know what, what I need for this? And, and that's, that's really simple. Enlarging is a, a gateway to not only making your own photographic paper, prints, but uh, a lot of other processes as well, and and let's talk about let's talk about enlarging and developing that paper. Now, when you're on when you're shooting film, you can't use a red light to see what's going on, Christine. Right? Right. Why is that? Because it's not monochromatic. Orthochromatic. Or orthochromatic. Sorry. Orthochromatic means that it's not it's not susceptible to red light, and a lot of processes are like that. When we talk about tin types, amber types, pho photographic paper. Photographic paper, as long as it's black and white, is typically orthochromatic, and that means it doesn't see the red, and that's that's where we can put a red safe light up in the corner of the room, and as long as it's not too bright, we can still see what we're doing. We can enlarge onto this paper with a, a printing easel, typically, 
And what a printing easel does, it will give us a nice edge around our print. It will give us, uh, it will keep it nice and flat so that when we put our clip of film in the enlarger and then project it down onto where the film is, we know that it's going to be nice and flat and level. You, you're also going to need to uh, put, put a piece of paper in about the same size as the, the paper that you're going to expose, and you're going to need to make sure you're in nice focus. Remember, it's, this is kind of like the opposite of a camera lens. Uh, and it's kind of the opposite of, of shooting, shooting a photograph. Instead of, instead of taking a photograph and coming through a lens and, and exposing an old film, you are sending a light through your negative, which is then projecting that, and that lens, the, the distance and the focus makes a big difference. You need to make sure that's that's in focus. Now, of course, the the best thing to do is that is still put a piece of paper in there. The the thickness of your photographic paper. Whenever we get a piece of foot, whenever we get fo uh, a new box of paper, what I typically do was right away is I will pull out a sheet of paper, and if it's a large sheet, I'll cut it in half, and I will mark it exactly what batch of paper that is, what brand, what date. And I will put it in the box with the photographic paper. And I know that that piece of paper I can put on that easel and I can either use a magnifying glass and make sure that it that the projected negative is perfectly in focus. Or we can use what's called a grain focuser. And it's kind of like a little reverse telescope kind of thing that you put on that piece of paper. And the distance between that and the mirror and the lens that you look down through is exactly where it needs to be. And as long as you have that focused and you focus on the sharpness and the grain of the film, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to have a nice sharp image there on, on the paper. I would not suggest buying paper used or, or too far out of date unless you're planning on doing other processes. And a couple of the other processes could be lumens, um, Carbon printing, where you would basically fix out all the silver anyway and just use the gelatin on the emulsion. Paper doesn't last as long as film does when it's expired, when it's mishandled, when it's mistreated. And I've seen way too many photos of people on eBay opening up the box of paper to show people how many sheets there are. And of course, when they open the box up, what happens? They're all exposed. They're all exposed and they're all useless anyway. And the, the carbon people, the carbon people buy them buy the buy them up like crazy because they can just fix out the silver and they can use them how they want. But yeah, you, you need to be careful. And most of these film boxes, most of these paper boxes, I should say, it's a box with the paper in a one or maybe even two layers of black plastic bag. But you still still want to be careful when you're when you're ready to expose the piece of paper, you know, make sure you've got the the, the bag and the box closed up and make sure you're not gonna expose it even even by accident. Now, I yell at Christina all the time for something when we're talking about exposing paper. What do I yell at you all the time for? Um, opening the box? No, no. her phone. Phones, phone. phones stay out of the darkroom. Not, not only do phones stay out of the darkroom because darkroom is a, is a sacred place to me. And I don't, I don't want a phone beeping and booping and bopping and doing its thing. But not only that, but I don't want the phone lighting up when I have a box of paper open. And the same thing for her watch. She's got one of those uh, Samsung smart watches, and it, it checks her pulse by shining a green light on her skin, and then at any point she happens to get a message. The, the watch lights up like crazy, and no, I'm sorry. Electronics stay out of the, uh, stay out of the dark room. Once you have that paper, uh, you can do a couple different things with that. You can you can shoot uh, you can make brom oils, and what a brom oil is is you're bleaching out the silver on the paper, and then you're using a lithographic, typically lithographic ink, to kind of stipple back in the ink to where to where that uh, that that image was. Uh, that's a really cool process. You can also uh, there's another process called mordenkage, and I think we talked about that last week or the week before we talked a little bit about mordenkage and that that is where it takes the the blacks of the print the print and kind of lifts them off the paper almost like that polaroid lift but it only affects the darks on your page and there are other things you can do you can you can uh, you can wax this paper and peel this paper apart wax and oil the paper and make it a little bit see-through and 
you may have done something like Modern Rogue did, where they took and they used this enlarger paper, this photographic silver enlarging paper, and they used it as a piece of film. And then they can take and expose that, sandwich that on another piece of paper, emulsion to emulsion, expose it for a, a set number of, of, of seconds or minutes or however thick, the, however thick the paper is, and then a negative times a negative equals a positive, and that's how you can make it. That's how, that's how Talbot, uh, William Henry Fox Talbot started out with the calotypes in the 1830s, it, basically shooting a photographic paper negative and then exposing it to another piece of paper negative. No big deal. Anything else? Anything else with enlarging, Christine? What hmm. else? What else do people need? People need trays. You need trays the size of the paper you're going to be enlarging to, right? Right. And ideally, somewhere to to hang that. And if you have tongs, it helps you move it from tray to tray. That's a good that's... point because some people can develop allergies to some of the chemistry that is in the developer. And it is a it is a big thing, and it would be the the most uh, the most difficult thing for me if I happen to develop an allergy. So I use tongs wherever I can. Use gloves if you can, and and as always, it's not a bad idea to use some kind of eye protection. Make sure you're doing this stuff in a place where if you happen to stain something, you're not gonna you're not gonna be sleeping on a couch for the next month. <laughs> You want to make sure you're you're not doing this somewhere where food is consumed. So absolutely, that's a that's a good point, Christine. And never use containers in your dark room that you plan to use again with food. Exactly. You want to make sure that you keep like if you have Pyrex containers that you're using as your trays, they're only for dark room, and you're never using them again for food. Right. That's a good thing. Good thing to talk about. Uh, let's see. Let's say we don't want to enlarge our, our, our film. What are our other options that we can do? Well, you can scan them and then put them in the computer. Uh-huh. You can scan them. And uh, and we already talked about that. We talked about scanning. We talked about the options for that. What about printing? Because there's a couple different options with printing. Of course, just like any other digital photo, you can print them on different kinds of papers and things like that. But... What if you were to photograph something on a 35 millimeter piece of film and you wanted to still work with alternative processes? Well, you can um, scan it and then print a new negative that's larger. Exactly. Print that new negative. We talk about digital negatives all the time. And you can print this on a you can you can get started with a black and white laser printer printing on a piece of just standard 20 pound copy paper and you're going to take a lot of time it's going to take a lot of time for that light to to penetrate that white paper but wherever you've got a your negative or you've got your image it's going to take even longer so you can make it work the next step would be to wax that negative wax that piece of paper or use oil on that piece of paper and what's that going to do that's going to make that piece of paper more see-through translucent or translucent and therefore, it's going to make it easier for light to get through, and it's going to take a lot less time to make that to make that exposure for for whatever alternative process you're using. The next the next possible step is uh, is uh, digital negatives for with transparencies, and we've done we've done them all. We've made we've made digital negatives with transparency with laser printer safe. If you're shooting laser, you're doing this through a laser printer. Make sure this this transparency paper can can withstand the heat of the fuser and the laser because if it doesn't and you need to replace the fuser and your laser printer, I mean, nowadays, you know, it's probably, you'd probably be better off just buying a new, a new darn, <laughs> new darn thing, new darn printer. Uh, but make sure you do that. You can also do what? What Christine does with a lot of her kids' classes, she has just the overhead transparency film that the teachers used to write on. I don't know if they use them anymore. But teachers would write on these overhead transparency pages, and you can use dry erase markers. You can use if if you if you don't mind them being permanent, you can use sharpies, permanent permanent ink markers, and you can make your own photograms or designs or drawings on these on these pages. The next step I would I would argue is is inkjet because inkjet uh, inkjet seems to be a little bit more precise than laser. 
because sometimes laser printers, unless you've got a new new fuser, unless you've got a new toner cartridge, sometimes you'll get you just won't get a perfectly black swatch of area. And inkjet, I think, works out really well. The problem with inkjet is it becomes an issue of at at the end of the day, you're not going to be really giving you're not going to be printing a negative that's got the density that you really need to do a lot of the, the more higher-end processes. Cyanotype's going to work great. But as we've talked before, when if you're working with that, you need uh, now you need transparency paper that is inkjet ready. And because what happens is, is if you don't have an inkjet transparency paper, then all of that ink is just going to puddle and pull. It's not going to know where to go. And to be honest with you, that actually looks pretty cool because we've got a couple... We've got a couple of them where we've loaded the wrong side in. I'm like, oh, that is so cool. And I would just set that until it dried. And it would take days to dry. But I just have this really warped kind of interesting interesting transparency negative. Black is not always going to be your best blocking color on your printer. You're going to want to shoot. You're going to want to print a kind of a rainbow chart, uh, what's called a, a, hue, a hue chart, which will print every color from from one end to the uh, to the other of the of the hue chart and in the color spectrum and you're going to find the one that actually blocks better. Canon, I think Canon is green. I believe Epson is orangish red. I don't know, you have to ch- test it with your ink system. Test it with your printer. Um, but typically black being a mix of all the colors is not going to be the best UV blocking and that's what you want. When you want something on your process that you want to come out completely white, paper white, that's where you want to use the most UV blocking substance you can find. And you're going to get to a point where I can't go any further. Um, I'm not getting the amount of density that I want, and that's when you have a couple different options. You can take and print two negatives and then make sure you put them on a light box and make sure they're perfectly lined up and then uh, then tape them down together, and then you're going to get more density that way. You can do the same thing with a uh, with your laser laser printer as well. Don't send the negative through the printer again, because it's highly unlikely you're going to get you're going to get ex- precise. Print two different ones, place them on a light box, make sure they're the same, and then and then tack them down. Of course, we've talked about the piezography system, and we're not getting paid to talk about the piezography system. However, we've tried every possible way to make digital negatives for platinum, palladium, for enlarging paper, for for everything. And unfortunately, we've never gotten dark enough to where we needed to be. Piezography is a system that is a, you basically reload your Epson Printer cartridges for several different types of printer. Go to the website and make sure that your printer is listed there. But you're reloading these cartridges with an encapsulated carbon pigment. And what this creates is a negative. If I were to create a negative where I've got a black area, I can't see sunlight through it. This is a complete dark, blacked out, no sunlight, no transmission whatsoever ink that lays down on this transparency paper and that we can actually use and without having an enlarger we could have actually scanned in 110 35 uh, medium format film one t- you know 120 220 we can scan this stuff in we can print it out as a negative and then we can expose it so we can actually skip that enlarging step if we really wanted to but we don't we did we did it uh, we we've kind of are, are crazy into the other stuff so we we've, we've had the we have the uh, the, the the privilege to be able to have all this stuff, but we don't expect anybody to get a, to get anywhere near this crazy. But um, we want to make sure that wherever you want to go in this artistic ability, that you can get you can get there. And and we're, you know, hey, we if you want to build a, a whole full dark room, man, that is really cool. But not everybody wants to do that. And there are several different ways you can get to where you want to be without without going crazy. There's a lot of little shortcuts to get you started, to kind of wet your whistle, to kind of give you that taste to see if you really want to to go that way. Right, Chris? Right. Any other any other options that we need to talk about? 
Not that I can think of. I don't think so. So if you are still shooting 35 millimeter film or 110 or 120, whatever, let us know. Uh, as always, you can connect with us on our Facebook group or through email at podcast at underaredglow.com. And as always, your comments just might make it into a future episode. Let us know also, Is there? did we miss anything in this whole kind of uh, mashup of getting getting kind of started in film photography, getting started with, uh, with, with playing around with that? Please let us know. Uh, and as always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us on... Uh, on uh, Facebook, on the podcast, uh, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice. And also a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Starting at a dollar, you can get our shows early with our supporters only after show, all without ads. Be sure to check out our other supporter tiers as well, which are geared towards bringing you along on our darkroom projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and also on underredglow.com. And now with episode 12 down, it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under a Red Glow. Uh, Under a Red Glow. I can't even say our own podcast name, Christine. <laughs> On your podcast listening app of choice. And if we've earned your recommendation to other photographers of any skill level process, we would certainly appreciate you sharing us with them. Big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you're listening to us on Patreon, please stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to visiting with you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>